Hey guys, Michelle here with some big news. We've often said that the Modern Lady podcast is meant to feel like just us friends, sitting around the kitchen table, chatting about all the things. Well, how about this summer, we ditch the microphones and cut out the middleman. Lindsay and I are so excited to announce that we will be hosting a Cultivating Your Family Culture Conference this summer at the St. Anthony Spirituality Center in Marathon, Wisconsin. And we really want to see you there. We've taken some of our favorite episodes and topics and have created a weekend that will motivate you to create a family culture that will have a generational impact. But this time, we're digging deeper and hope you'll join us in person for the chat. Join us June 9th to 11th, 2023 for a weekend filled with engaging conversation, a lot of laughter, and inspiration whatever season of life you're in. Check out the St. Anthony Spirituality Center website at www.sarcenter.com or our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com for registration information and all the details. And now, on to the show. Mmm, perfect. I love that. I think that should just... Do you want to end it like that? Yeah, I think so, yep. Oh, that is amazing. I can't believe we did that full circle. That <laughs> was <know>. amazing. <laughs> that was so fun. Oh my goodness. That was a blast. Yeah. And I kind of had a sense that this year's would be. Yeah. The trends themselves were so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 137. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about the trends for 2023. Every episode, we share something that we are each loving or enjoying at the time, whether it be a book or podcast, a movie or a new practice we've adopted. And every year around this time, These two stay-at-home moms decide it's time to sneak a peek outside our closet studios and homes to see just what the rest of the world is loving right now, too. And thus, the annual Spring Trends episode was born. So, from silence to caviar to denim, have no fear, the modern ladies are here to journey alongside you as we navigate the scene that is the trends of 2023. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Michelle, aka Carmelite Connection, who gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and said, quote, I'm so glad you're back. I've been wanting to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. I love it so much that I fall asleep. Yep, you read that right. And if you chuckled, then you're exactly the kind of women who are my people. When I really love a podcast, I put it on to take a nap. I find the familiarity of the voices so soothing and relaxing. I thought you might get a kick out of my peculiar review. Don't worry, I re-listen to the episode later, and I love the flag etiquette episode. End quote. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for your message and review. I definitely chuckled when I read that we put you to sleep. But we totally get it and are really honored that we can be such a calming presence in your day. 
If you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Well, Michelle, I almost made it to a proper hair salon for some pampering, but needed to cancel. So while it's almost been a decade since I've set foot in a salon, and I should give a little shout out to my hairdresser, also named Michelle, who comes to my house, (laughs) I came across this list called 13 Polite Habits Hairdressers Actually Dislike and What to Do Instead on the website for Reader's Digest. And I thought this is perfect because one day, one day I'll make it into a salon again. So the article opens with this truth bomb, quote, outside of family and friends, one of the most important relationships you can have is with your hairdresser. After all, with a few snips of the scissors, they have the power to make you look fantastic or not, end quote. Whoa, okay, man, how do we treat them right? Well, the first one says that some hairdressers get anxious if you show up early. They can see you waiting there, and even if you're totally fine and happily waiting, they might feel the need to rush to finish up with the client that's currently in their chair. So it really is best to show up at your scheduled time. Now, if you're going to be early and you don't want to wait in your car, they suggest calling the salon and saying that you'll be a bit early and asking if your hairstylist would like to see you earlier. The next one isn't just applicable to hairdressers, but it's also a major pet peeve of flight attendants and restaurant staff. Do not use terms of endearment when addressing them. It might seem friendly to call them sweetie or hun, but many are bothered by that as it makes them feel like you don't take them seriously as professionals. And it's also proper etiquette to ask someone who has a name that is commonly shortened, think Elizabeth and Liz, Beth, or Lisa, if you can call them by one of those versions. Don't grab things off their table, even if it's something like a brush to brush your hair one last time before you leave or a little hairspray just for that one last little spritz. At first, I couldn't imagine someone being so bold, but now on second thought, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, this one is one I've wondered about. What about if you're feeling chatty or feeling like you want to be quiet? How do you navigate both of those? The hairdressers in this article said that the level of chatting is established by the customer, but they pointed out that it is hard to focus on doing your hair and chatting, so maybe not chatting nonstop. But what if you want silence? This is what I've always wondered about after um, Mm -hmm. starting to be too chatty with a masseuse every time that became regularly, and then I wanted to be quiet but didn't know how to backtrack. So they suggest... Being polite when sitting down, right? Like being a little chatty when you sit down, but then saying something like you've been really looking forward to relaxing after a busy week and that you're looking so forward to just sitting quietly in the chair. And they said most of the time they will totally get the hint that you want to have a quiet appointment. And finally, show up with clean hair. Yes, they're going to wash it, but perhaps you've heard that color goes on better on dirty hair. Well, that's a myth. And while you want to look nice, they remind you to be aware of the clothing that you are wearing so it doesn't get in the way, like turtlenecks, which can complicate the haircutting process. And they said to leave the designer clothes at home because even with the cape on, they're worried still about getting hair color on your clothing. Hmm. I'm really stressed out about (laughs) going to the (laughs) salon now. Oh, but good tips. The one that I was really interested in too was also the chatting one. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I 
I have to say, I almost never want to chat mm. <laughs> when I go for haircuts or massages. Yes. Um, for massages, I'm just honestly trying to stay awake at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just want to go to sleep. But even for haircuts, I'm really happy just sitting there in silence. But yeah. I feel like I have to be polite. Yes. And make small talk. So yeah. that is a great reminder that you don't necessarily have to. Like, they don't mind either. They they also enjoy just focusing on their work, too. Absolutely. And then that just had me thinking about other times where it's like to chat or not to chat. And then I thought the place where mm-hmm. I go where they try to chat to you the most, ironically, is the dentist. <laughs> Right when you oh, can't, yes. when you can't, they ask more questions at the dentist than they do at any other service I receive. That's that's so true. I was just at the dentist yesterday, and I had that happen, and I answered a question that she asked like five minutes earlier, and I held yeah. on to my answer and answered, and it was really awkward. So you can probably just let that go too. Yep. Do you know what? Maybe it's time for some dental office etiquette for the. Oh. Next episode. <laughs> yes, I could use those. <laughs> this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Being tired suburban moms in our 30s and 40s doesn't exactly make us influencers, and you might want to look to more reputable sources for new fashion and beauty trends. Please contact the professionals to find out if it is really time for the international debut of the Canadian tuxedo before purchasing said items. And please, for the sake of all that is beautiful, don't go out and buy a red skirt suit and giant purse for your night out at an underwater-themed experimental no-plates restaurant based on this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast without double-checking to make sure that all the cool Instagrammers are doing it first. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Food and fashion and travel. Oh my. We are indeed back at it with our spring trends episode. Around March every year, we start asking each other in our planning sessions for the podcast, is it time for spring trends yet? And it's truly one of our favorite episodes of the year, right, Lindsay? It is. And we've always said that this is one that's just purely for our pleasure. We don't know if anyone yeah. else likes it or follows it. None of that matters. We just enjoy <laughs> recording this one so much. It's just, it's a selfish episode, I guess. Right, Michelle? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A selfish episode that we still hope benefits and entertains and is yeah. edutainment for everybody. Yes. But yes. <laughs> it is funny because we are so... Um, yeah, I think you mentioned it in one of your Insta stories the other day. We we both kind of do our own thing anyways. Yeah. And and so we love to know what the trends are. But then almost immediately after we record it, we're like, well, that was nice. Yes. And then, but then throughout the else. year, right, we've had things yeah. then pop up that kind of reiterate what we said on our trends episode. And we're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, we knew that. <laughs> oh, a little bit. Of, yeah, yeah, a little hair flip. Yes. <laughs> It's so true. It's just, it's, it is nice to be connected to yeah. society and culture and some of the things too. I'm glad we do it because often something does tend to come up that is actually a, a pretty accurate commentary on our culture yes. um, or like something deeper that's going on um, below the surface. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, we might kind of joke about it as being something frivolous. But more often than not, it is also kind of surprising when you take the time to examine your own culture. (laughs) You can learn a lot about it. 
Yeah. The trends inform the culture and the culture informs the trends, right? And yes. especially I think in the travel section, that one always, mm. I always think, well, what is there for travel trends? And you and I aren't travelers. <laughs> like, <Right. this laughs> couldn't be more elusive for us. <laughs> but I just always find that that one particularly speaks to what the culture is. People are really needing at that mm. time. That one says mm-hmm. so much more than just destinations. And, and I also find that this one actually does motivate me, even if I don't want to do the things we're actually talking about, it does still yeah. get me excited to try a few new things going into spring, summer, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe I do want to go look at, at some new clothes or make a new cocktail. So it might not be the specific things that are on trend, but it still gets me kind of motivated for the spring, summer to try something new. Mm-hmm. It's true. And then if it's even in your mind, because we were mentioning it, yeah. I found that like if it's something that wouldn't have been on my radar at all otherwise, yep. other than being able to chat about it on the podcast, if I do come across it on a menu, if it's a food thing or mm-hmm. in conversation, I'm more likely to try it. And like yeah. you said, try something new then. So, okay, well, I guess it's not so frivolous after all. This is actually maybe one of our most important episodes we do every <laughs> year. And as you're saying that, it was so yeah. funny because before you said maybe it's not so frivolous, I thought this leads perfectly into the first thing on our list. And then <laughs> I'm like, the first thing on our list is the most frivolous thing <laughs> yes. on this list. So Michelle, yeah, have you ever tried caviar? Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think about this the other night. I don't think I have. I don't think I have. Have you? We bought it um, okay. a couple of years ago and for New Year's. And so we bought, okay, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but um, Jason bought Dom Perignon champagne for Christmas that year and mm-hmm. caviar. Now we only bought that champagne. And I will say this is because he received a ton of gift cards to the liquor store for his 40th birthday. Mm. So we would have probably not dropped that money on champagne just to be clear. But mm-hmm. I mean, why not then go ahead and buy some caviar if you're right. having that. Now I actually, think I chickened out. I, I I was trying to remember back. I didn't eat it, but I'm trying to remember why I didn't eat it. So I think Jason ate the entire container <laughs> of caviar. I believe Amazing. actually he made yeah. duck hot dogs with caviar. <laughs> so talk what? about what? frivolous. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed. Wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, so no. it's true. And I, I'm actually trying to remember and we'll get to the actual trend in a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I eat such exotic foods, though. Yes. Like, I'm really open to that. Yep. Um, I might have just by a different name. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, which, in a less fancy setting. Which we'll learn about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Tell me. Tell okay. me about this. Because I, I wanted to make, you know, make sure I really understood it. And what I learned is that for it to be caviar, and this is just like with champagne, there are very specific rules. So it has to be matured sturgeon eggs. And mm. sturgeon is a fish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the terms caviar and roe, R-O-E, are not interchangeable. Oh, although okay. caviar is a type of roe. So oh, roe okay. is far more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you might be having um, salmon roe, which might be mislabeled red caviar, but that's actually, I guess, like authentically and legally not what it should be called. But there are now multiple different kinds of sturgeon caviar. For a long time, there were only three accepted types. The the most popular one being beluga. I'm sure you've Mm. heard in fancy movies, beluga caviar. Mm. Um, Now there's about, I, I didn't count it, but maybe seven or nine different breeds of sturgeon that would technically fall into the caviar category. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah, there was a lot to learn about caviar, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize it was so nuanced. Mm -hmm. But when I was looking at this, like how it kind of exploded onto this scene, did you... Did you come across the TikTok video? No. That apparently launched this craze? No. So it was actually started by a woman, um, a young woman named Danielle Zaslavsky on TikTok, mm. who filmed herself last year enjoying her her favorite, quote, OG snack, which was <laughs> okay. caviar on what she called fitness bread. Okay. So um, Danielle is actually a third generation sturgeon farmer. And so she is qualified to tell us about caviar Mm -hmm. and her family business is called Marquise and they deal in caviar. So um, this is kind of the video that started it all. And she's gone on to do more of like even pairings with caviar, like uh, Doritos and caviar. Wow. Apparently is delicious. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So she was just explaining in that video too a lot of different things like how caviar transfers uh, taste so easily. Like it's very mm-hmm. sensitive. So you can only use certain kinds of spoons mm. to spoon it onto your fitness bread. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I just, I kind of love the idea of casually reaching for a tin of caviar for your mid afternoon snack. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> and I love the high low of the Doritos and caviar. Like that's yeah. my personality. I love that mashup of the high low. <laughs> so I'm really interested to try it now. Now, one of the classic ways of serving it, the way I've always seen it served prior to, mm-hmm. I guess, TikTok um, yeah. is on a little blini. I don't know if you've seen a blini. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like a mini bite-sized pancake. Um, I also saw them yes. called cocktail pancakes, which is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is the name. That it needs yep. to be the name. Cocktail mm-hmm. pancakes. And they add a little creme fraiche. Now, creme fraiche is like sour cream, um, but it's, it has a higher fat content to it. So you do a little dollop of that, and then you do your your um, caviar on top. So a little bite-sized. And I think I'd be willing to try. I like, if I'm going to try something like that, I like trying it the classic way, right? The mm-hmm. way that most people would have it. And then something crazy like on Doritos. So you, mm-hmm. so I always believe you should try something the way it's been consumed most of the time throughout history and yeah. then, and then shake it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You start with the classic and yep. you adapt it from there for sure. And then I saw that it's being used right now in one of the most popular cocktails. Um, and it's called the Salty Girl. Well, it's the Salty Girl uh, restaurants. There's a few of them. Um, I think mm. one's in L.A., one might be in Boston and New York. And then they have this cocktail that I think is just called the Salty. And it is vodka, olives, pickled onion, and caviar. And uh, can I just say, I, I, that is not my type of, of cocktail. <laughs> trying <clears throat> trying to keep it all in here. Um And so that is not what I would order, but I guess if that interests anyone else, yeah, caviar cocktails. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, wow. What a way to kick things off. Like we're starting high. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) Just hit you with everything right out of the gate. Um, So we're starting in the food category, but Mm -hmm. we've kind of now broached on cocktails and cocktails are still a thing. Like it's still big. So what else is going on with cocktails? Yeah. And I feel like the last couple of years, we really talked about mocktails and those are Mm -hmm. still a big thing too. So they're not even on our list because we have addressed the mocktail thing in the last couple of years. So let's go back to the alcohol side. Um, so kind of piggybacking off what we just talked about, um, 
pickled cocktails mm-hmm. um, are are really big right now. And this is no surprise either if you followed us last year when we were talking about like the fermented drink trend, the kombucha based cocktails. This idea of like pickled or savory cocktails, they're uh, they're really big this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does fit in with the fermenting trends from the last few years. Yeah. Right. And I was searching for examples of pickle cocktails and it truly is everywhere right now. Yeah. And they pair it with all kinds of things. The pickle juice, like um, there's some with tequila and vodka. There's a drink called the pickleback. Mm. You start with a shot of either bourbon or Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. And then you chase it with a shot of pickle juice, oh, like pickle brine. I'm gonna have to tell Jason he is going to yes. love that. And it's the title. The article title was uh, like, "It's time to bring the pickle back." Funny, because that's yep. the name. Yeah. Um, but I was like, "Why pickle juice, though? Like, why do you chase it with that?" And wow. it actually is supposed to. The pickle juice is apparently supposed to neutralize the taste of the alcohol a little bit while burning it off at the same time. Okay, so that makes sense then with the pickle juice because like with tequila shots, you do the the lime and then you lick the salt off your hand. And so the same idea of that saltiness with the alcohol, right, would make sense mm. with the pickle juice as well. Now, speaking of tequila, we talked about tequila last year. Well, we've got something else this year, which is mm. huge, and it's in the tequila family, and that is mezcal. And mezcal is a type of tequila with both being made from the agave plant. All tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila. Just like bourbon is a type of whiskey. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. (laughs) It's like you want to memorize that in the restaurants and be like, okay, hold on. All tequila is mezcal. (laughs) You're trying to order and you're just whispering to yourself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing that makes it different. So, well, actually, this is how it's produced, but it is what makes it different. So the core of the agave plant is Mm -hmm. roasted in the ground. So it gives it that kind of smoky flavor, right? Versus Mm -hmm. tequila, um, the agave plant is steamed in a brick oven. Um, So same plant, different technique. Um, and then just for how to drink it. So you can make it uh, a mezcal mar- margarita, right? Instead of using tequila. And as I said last year, margaritas, we the staple cocktail in the Marie house last year. Mm. Um, I love a real margarita, Michelle. I don't know if you guys have made them yet, but you need like 500 limes. Like it's just so, mm. it's like oh. <laughs> maybe like nine limes a drink. And then the tequila Ooh. or mezcal. And then um, you use Cointreau or like an orange flavored liqueur. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, So you can obviously do margaritas, but if we're sharing fun cocktail names like you just did, I came across one in Food and Drink magazine that you can Google if you want the exact measurements, but there's a cocktail called the Tawny Little Blood. Yeah, Tawny, T-A-W-N-Y, Tawny Mm -hmm. Little Blood, and it's port, like port wine, and apparently the smokiness of the mezcal and the port wine go really well together. And so it has those two ingredients and then freshly squeezed orange and grapefruit juice, habanero bitters, a slice of jalapeno, sea salt, and and then a slice of lime and orange as a garnish. And that sounds so good. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that drink too. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. But I love port. Yes. So that would be a great cocktail to try. 
And the final thing about cocktails, another big trend is nostalgia cocktails. Now they aren't thinking, you know, from the 50s or 60s when I think of nostalgia. No, no, they're in the 90s and early 2000s now for vintage and nostalgia cocktails. So all I can think about from my bar days in the late 90s and early 2000s is like the drink Rev and like Mike's hard lemonade and just these like sickly oh, yes. sweet but yeah it's mm-hmm. it, there's a lot we'll talk about today about vintage and nostalgia trends we're really all wanting that but just like with fashion it really for the young people these days it's all about the early 2000s <laughs> I was just gonna say there is a lot of talk of vintage but it's all pertaining to the 90s yep. Yep. <laughs> like our our era oh yeah. we've become vintage yep <laughs> and the interesting thing I find about this vintage trend is actually common, I guess, in a lot of revived trends, which is that, yes, these older things cycle back, yeah. but it is always changed somehow to fit the current culture, right? And the yeah. tastes. So even here with the vintage cocktails, uh, foodandwine.com was talking about how there is a maturing, though, of these mm. classic 90s cocktails, <laughs> Right. Yes. So you mentioned. So. Yeah. Yes. So like they're saying, even like with the um, very very high sugary content mm-hmm. um, of those cocktails, they use so many of the mixes, right? Yes. Um. And so now, for example, instead of using a sour mix in mm-hmm. drinks, that bartenders and mixologists are using real citrus. Yeah. Um. That fresh juice is preferred to canned juice, and that even like craft labels of anything is going to take precedence when they're making drinks. So it goes along with, again, a lot of other trends in both food and elsewhere, where it just feels like part of the whole trend is now the artistry behind it. Yes. So we don't just want to drink. We want it to be meaningful and deeply creative. <laughs> yes. And I, yeah. I love that. And that yes. goes back to the whole margarita thing. I will, again, make a plug for making margaritas from scratch because if you only, I was going to say grew up drinking margaritas, <laughs> like, and I guess grow up from the legal age. <laughs> you grew up drinking margaritas. <laughs> Um, back in the day, you would get the Bacardi can. Your mom, your mom would put the Bacardi frozen mixer can in the like beside the fruit punch in the freezer section of the grocery store in the cart, and you would go home mm. and pop open the can, and you would add the alcohol. And um, and so for me, growing up, <laughs> margaritas were always that blended, <laughs> sickly sweet drink, and mm-hmm. they're not like a real margarita. Yeah, if you guys haven't been doing that yet, really make some real ones. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, with all these cocktails, we're going to need a full stomach. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> let's just transition and sidestep here into the food trends for 2023. Are we still like kind of on par with last year or in a completely different direction? Well, the first thing that we've seen actually over the last several years, I would say is that mushrooms, mushrooms are still having their Mm -hmm. moment. Whoever is doing the marketing for mushrooms is doing a great job. (laughs) From started at the bottom and now he's here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally just fungi at the bottom of them. Right. (laughs) But every year there's a new mushroom, right? And the mushroom Mm. du jour this year is the 
maitake is going to be my guess how it's pronounced. We'll just say the English words, uh, the English version of that is called the hen of the woods. Now, Mm -hmm. you might have seen this mushroom. It has these unique feathered ripples Um, in the viral video. Michelle, did you see this video on TikTok or Instagram of the fried chicken dupe? Oh, um, yes, I think I did. Yeah, and it looks actually delicious. I'm not a mushroom fan, and mm. but this, when she batters it in like a KFC type batter, and then like pulls pulls it apart, this like feathered ripple um, mushroom looks like chicken. It has that same oh. look, um, and so that has just made this one so popular. Now it's so popular that there's even a restaurant in my favorite little town in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont, um, that's called the Hen of the Woods, which is that name of the mushroom. Mm. The, the restaurant's called that, and of course that fake fried chicken is a staple on their menu. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because that is one of the things that I was reading about this mushroom is that it's meaty. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's very meaty. So that makes sense. You would substitute meat, like meat based things, which is so cool. Yeah. I am really impressed that mushrooms have this kind of staying power mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in trends. And it's easy to see Um, how it is in terms of food because I think that the earthiness and and, and kind of plainness of mushrooms just pairs well with almost anything else. So it's really versatile. I could see that for sure. But it's actually, mushrooms are kind of everywhere else too. Yeah. Have you seen that too? Like food, decor, and fashion. Yeah. Like, and we'll talk about fashion a little bit later, but I was reading how they have even found ways to manufacture mushrooms to be, to feel like leather. Wow. I haven't heard that. Texture. Yes. So it might appeal to people who are concerned with sustainability and fashion or, or things like that. And um, so yeah, mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) kind of wild. You can eat them. You can drink them, you can decorate with them, and now apparently you can wear them. There's nothing that the humble mushroom cannot do. (laughs) All right. Next on the list, move over Tex-Mex. And honestly, I was writing that. I thought, Mm -hmm. has anybody even talked about Tex-Mex in the last 25 (laughs) years? Like it's the only food mashup that popped into my head. But anyways, there is a new, I guess, cultural or ethnic food mashup in town. So make way for itameshi or is that how you would say it, Michelle? Itameshi? Yeah, I would say it like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is learn trends and then mispronounce them, right? Because it's the opposite of cool. (laughs) All the street cred sucked right out of us. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what is it? It is Italy meets Japan. So Mm. we noted last year on our podcast, the rising popularity of Japanese food. And, but I never saw the whole Italian thing coming. Like it just was like Italy came out of nowhere. So there are um, a lot of foods mashed up together. Together, but the most basic one I happened to see yesterday, right after I finished writing my notes on this, um, a Facebook post came up about sushi pizza, basically just hmm. sushi in the shape of pizza. And I'm like, all right, we're at that basic level already where it's just yeah. gone down to sushi pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this trend is so interesting too, because Japanese culture seems to be again kind of like a mushroom Mm. easy to pair with different cultures Mm -hmm. Um, like even in decor and style uh, there's like the japandi style Mm. which is the mix of japanese and scandinavian Mm -hmm. design um but i found on the website inameshi.com there's this whole backstory for this 
food fusion. And I didn't realize that it had its beginnings all the way back in 1881. What? Yeah. That was when the first Italian restaurant opened in Japan. And so this struck me because I remembered from our homeschool curriculum that we do, um, it mentions that Japan went into that period of isolation Mm -hmm. for over 200 years. And those Mm -hmm. years were between 1643 and 1853. And only then did it open back up to the world. And in the years following that, I think they had a very brief civil war as well, where they're trying to figure out how much foreign influence they wanted to let back into the country. Yeah. So I was thinking like between the year that Japan opened up in 1853 And when that first Italian restaurant opened in Japan in 1881, like it's not a long time. And so perhaps the Italians, as well as I was reading the French and the Germans, they seemed to have a lot of the initial influence in Japan after the isolation ended. Hmm. So I that was a little historical thought experiment (laughs) that I did. I don't know if it's true, if that's the case, but I can see how that has a lot of uh, longevity to it because yeah again both cultures if you think about it they love simple flavors um they use in-season produce they both have this love for umami yeah right with that fifth sense of taste i think i don't know how to describe umami Mm -hmm. and um yeah and they both really include a lot of depth in their savory foods so yeah uh, itameshi, I'm here for it. I it's, I like both Italian and Japanese. <laughs> it is so much more than sushi, sushi pizza. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, in terms of that too, they were um this website itameshi.com. It was it gave an example like a ragu type of sauce. Yeah, but you make it with pork belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or you could use ramen dough to yeah. make Italian style noodles. Oh, I'm there right. For that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Because it would be similar, but I think with ramen, the alkaline levels are different. And okay. so that would create a whole other taste profile. Right. That's very technical now, Michelle. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you, sushi pizza and yeah. what's next? <laughs> yeah. You know what's next? The what? Hot Ones Challenge. You know how everyone, Ooh. the YouTube yes. channel is great. And I just was saying to Jason the other day about the Hot Ones Challenge on YouTube. I was like, this is so funny. I love, I okay, it's love-hate with the internet, with YouTube, all these things, right? Pros mm-hmm. and cons. But one of the things I love is just somebody, just just an average Joe can come up with this <laughs> idea, which becomes this huge thing. And he gets to eat, eat hot sauce with the biggest celebrities of the moment. It's just mm. pretty darn cool that that can happen. So people are loving spicy foods, right? And they are desiring to build up a tolerance of them, just like in that challenge. But then I had to laugh because you know when something becomes super boring and mainstream when it's at Costco. And we were at Costco the other night and you can buy the hot sauce challenge with different (laughs) bottles at Costco. Oh, but that's how we are able to incorporate these things into our summer barbecues. Yes, we yes. get everything. We pick everything up at Costco and bring yes. it home, and now, now you have entertainment as well. That's the Holland's challenge. Yeah. Do you know what? I've seen clips of that. I didn't yeah. realize it was a whole like show or oh, YouTube so good. channel. Yeah, okay. it's really, really well done. I mean, it might not always be family friendly. Just if the mm. people are sweating and might squeak out a little swear word. Um, but it's. Mm. I find you know what, Michelle, I wasn't expecting to talk 
talk about this, but I find it's similar to Desert Island Discs, my favorite radio show slash podcast ever, where mm. you can get people to open up about their lives when they think they're not being interviewed. And so when you're just asking them about certain things and they're kind of distracted, then they start opening up more. And so like I found that the, their guard is kind of down because they're eating on mm. camera, which a lot of celebrities wouldn't normally do especially the females right like getting mm. dirty and eating chicken wings covered in sauce but they really open up in a different way and I'm like this is such a creative way to interview people mm. yeah yeah nothing makes people open up like crying yes exactly <laughs> from pain <laughs> yes <laughs> speaking oh. of crying from pain I'm um, in yeah. spicy the um the last food thing on the list that's like dinner related is you know chicken sandwiches they are still mm. you can't drive around a corner in our city without a chicken sandwich on a billboard being advertised <laughs> by one fast food joint or another <laughs> or like small little pop-up mom and pop restaurants the breaded chicken sandwich particularly the nashville hot chicken is just i would say the sandwich of the year still Okay, Michelle, so let's just say we've had our hot sauce and you need something to drink. Well, another year, another new non-dairy milk. I actually did wonder, oh, no. was I was I going to be able to find another new non-dairy milk? And sure enough, so last what? year, we told you about potato mm -hmm. milk, right? Mm. And it's still out there on the list for 2023. Potato milk is hanging on despite my not <laughs> seeing it on anything in real life. But the newest milk is pistachio milk. And now this sounds to me a lot more appealing mm. than potato milk. So I was reading about pistachio milk lattes and they sound delicious. You just use your pistachio milk, coffee, vanilla and maple syrup. So I am on board with pistachio milk. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can do pistachio milk too. I think that's probably more in the family of like almond milk, yeah. cashew milk, um, where it has, yeah, that earthy flavor, like yep. a distinct taste. So you would use it to flavor things specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> potato milk was the wild card for <laughs> it was sure. The wild card. <laughs> like, and I was truly shocked to see it still popping yeah. up on trends lists for yes. this year. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And I can't remember if that had like the health benefits <laughs> apart from just not being dairy. Yeah. But yeah, when, when it comes to nuts, I can see it being much more like it might be also for health reasons. Like yeah, benefits from the and it's nuts. higher in protein. Um, pistachio mm, okay. milk is higher in protein than dairy milk. So, all right, now okay. it's time for dessert. Okay. Oh yay! Mm -hmm. Now, well, actually, this first thing is a good bridge between dinner and dessert because it's it's not necessarily the food; it is the texture of the food. So, on the Delish website, they had something called dishes with a chance of clouds, meaning fluffy Ooh. foods. And I just got really excited about that. I just <laughs> yeah. love well, the yeah. idea, right? <laughs> of fluffy foods. So think whipped, fluffy, oozy. We're talking meringues, cloud bread, marshmallows, whipped feta. So it's, it's all of those fluffy foods are very much on trend for 2023. Ooh. Okay, well, like that sounds delicious. Yeah. I think anything that is fluffy is usually also delicious. Well, there's one dessert that kind of straddled both this fluffy foods trend and um, the vintage foods trend. We'll talk a little bit more in a minute about. Um, so I love I love when something can, you know, be trendy on two fronts. And that mm -hmm. is baked Alaska. Are you familiar with baked oh. Alaska? Um, yes, but I, I'm blanking on what it actually is. I have okay. heard about it though. 
So believe it or not, I have been fascinated by baked Alaska since childhood because as Mm. a little girl, I used to lay on my tummy and read my mom's 1970s cookbooks. And Mm. so I've loved reading cookbooks since childhood. And that one, there was something so fancy to me about baked Alaska and it is having its moment again. So it's not only a tasty dessert. And a piece of art because it is beautiful when done and sliced. It's also a scientific marvel because it is ice cream Mm. entombed in meringue. And then you bake it in the oven and the ice cream stays frozen despite going into the oven. Right? What? Yeah. Yeah. So it's what magic is this? Frozen like Alaska, right? In the middle. So I dare say I would gasp right when it and you mm-hmm. cut into it so you're supposed to cut into it and you can do layered um ice cream so you're getting all the colors as well when you cut into it so i'm just i have that is what i'm making i am making a baked alaska next weekend i am so excited yeah well that's not something you usually hear about people trying at home yeah like on their own but could you imagine yeah the feeling you would get if you were to attempt something like that just in our home kitchens and pulling it out and slicing through it and finding. So you said there is like a scientific process to it. So, well, it was actually very popular in the sixties and seventies. So a lot of, it was like a housewife dessert. It was one of the fancier ones you would make if your husband's boss was coming over. Mm. Um, But the scientific aspect was that there's something about the air pockets in the meringue that create um, a, a protection around the ice cream. That, that oh. makes it not melt. Now, I haven't checked mm. how long it goes into the oven for, but it goes in long enough to brown the swirled tips of the meringue. So a couple minutes for sure. You would expect some of the ice cream to be affected, but it's not due to that mm-hmm. insulation. Okay. Very cool. And then so vintage recipes. So, you know, many of us, I went through a period on Facebook where I was sharing vintage recipes all the time and we'd all laugh and gag and laugh and gag. But those desserts (laughs) and those recipes are are back. Uh, A lot Uh of people are wanting to try them. And I thought this is so funny because I didn't know that it's officially a trend. And as I just revealed, our summer this year is a 60s summer. Jason Mm. and I are going to do a lot of 60s food, 60s cocktails. We want to, we already dress like it's the 60s. Um, So I'm like, oh my goodness, look at that. And it's specifically mentioned ambrosia salad, which I happened to make Mm. last weekend just as a fluke. So ambrosia salad which i don't know if you've ever had it michelle but no it's back to the pistachios so maybe they are having a moment Mm. it's pistachio pudding mix it's whipped cream well it's actually cool whip not real whipped Mm -hmm. cream and it's fruit salad and crushed pineapple and coconut and the rainbow marshmallows and wow (laughs) i think that's it and it's all and it is actually delicious it's delicious. It it's is. cool. It's okay. refreshing. It's like you, it, it looks crazy and it is just so good on a nice hot summer day after a barbecue to bring out this nice, cool, refreshing dessert. So I will be making more ambrosia salad this summer. Mm, that is so interesting. That sometimes makes me wonder when you hear of really like seemingly random combinations of food mm-hmm. that actually taste delicious. Like who came up with that recipe? Yeah. I'm so impressed with their knowledge of like flavor profiles. Well, what a lot of the, this is just 
from what I've studied before with vintage food, but a lot of those recipes that seem to make no sense for us um, mm -hmm. weren't so much about flavor profiles, but it was about women showing off their fridges. So it was still pretty new oh. to have a fridge in the 50s mm -hmm. and 60s, especially if you were over in England. It was a very much an American housewife thing. And so especially to have fridges with a lot of space. And so that's when you started getting instant pudding, Jello, Cool Whip, all of these desserts, because if you could just have them set in your fridge and these like no-bake cakes that you would use Cool mm. Whip and like cookie slices that when, when sitting in the fridge would combine to make a, a spongy cake-like texture. So this mm -hmm. idea of opening your fridge and having like the layered jello whipped cream, little desserts and parfait cups, that became a look at what we have um, type of thing. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. I didn't know that before. Mm -hmm. All right. So if we're moving through here, we, we didn't know we did this, but we actually set this whole section up like a meal. Mm -hmm. We started with cocktails, then we moved into the main course, we just had dessert, <laughs> and now we get to sit around and sip our coffee. So what is trending with coffee this year? This blew my mind. It is called white coffee. And we're not talking about a flat white, which happens to be my coffee order when I buy a coffee. Um, mm. This is actually white coffee. So what it means is beans that have been kept white by halting the roasting process. And obviously this doesn't just affect the color, but it changes the entire taste profile of the coffee. Now, mm. while this trend is brand spanking new, I'm talking like March of 2023. So we are, this is breaking mm. news um, <laughs> here in the West. Uh, it turns out like so many other things, it's been a process that's been long done, practiced in Yemen. It's from Yemen mm. and they serve this coffee with a spice blend of cumin, black pepper, turmeric, and cardamom. And I just think that sounds absolutely delicious. Mm -hmm. And so we have in our region where we live a couple great small coffee roasters. And I'm so tempted to ask them if they can do this because they roast their own beans. I mean, like, can you do white oh, coffee yes. with this spice blend? Yes. I mean, and you're right because we have so many um, coffee coffee places that do their own and they're so into that artistry yes. of the craft, right? I bet yeah. you they would be really on board with trying something like that. And I also, I was looking at the white coffee and I was thinking, you know, it seems to be very aesthetic, mm -hmm. right? So I was wondering if this was a, more like an Instagrammable appeal right. more than taste or anything else really but I think it, it is actually also supposed to be more caffeine to it too so like a mm. stronger coffee yeah. about maybe not a ton maybe about five percent more caffeine um so yeah I think it, it might be interesting if it would be like a gap between like an espresso right. super super strong dark coffee and a regular roasted coffee regularly brewed coffee right in the middle you'd have the white okay now let's say you don't want to cook at home and you're like hey but Lindsay, michelle i want to go to a restaurant mm -hmm. what are the restaurant trends well what they're seeing what we're seeing is a lot of experimental dining and themed dining unique dining experiences this idea of experiences we're going to hear a lot more about in traveling as well mm -hmm. but because I think people were home for so long, when they go out now and they spend money, they want it to be an experience, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of those I saw is a restaurant that is a 20,000 leagues under the sea restaurant theme, which honestly just made me laugh because I thought of it as an upscale version of when on Full House, they went to the pirate ship restaurant, if you'll recall. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they had to jump off the plank. Um, <laughs> but there is a cool hidden restaurant in Toronto that I've been following for a while called Pastiche. Um, where it's literally, it's not like a speakeasy, but it's like you go into what seems like a nondescript building and then I think you go behind a wall and suddenly you're in this really cool restaurant. So things like that, right, that really get people talking. And then the other trend as well is monthly dining subscriptions or social mm. clubs, again, where you actually buy a membership and you have to be a club member. And Michelle, we have a brand new social club that requires memberships opening in Uptown Waterloo right now. So we do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Right on trend in our own yep. city. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is really interesting. Like, um, I think I was reading that the subscriptions thing was yeah. really born uh, out of the pandemic, right? Yeah. We're coming yeah. out of the pandemic, trying to drum up business again for people to come back in. And I do love the idea of a social club that you yep. just go to you pay and then you you get to go and do everything but I think for me the themed restaurants are the most exciting part of this <laughs> yes. whole trend <laughs> for restaurants I just think how fun and creative it's like dinner and a show but um you're immersed in the show it's like you're participating in it so you're right like I think I saw one that was like an aquarium restaurant mm. And kind of uh, is the word, is it macabre <laughs> mm. to say like it's a seafood restaurant? <laughs> so like you're supposed to be eating seafood amongst the fish you're eating. Right. Yeah. Which I feel like is a little dark for <laughs> dark for dinner. <laughs> um, Speaking of dark for dinner, this isn't on my list, but have you heard about the one where you eat in total blackness? Yes. Yeah. I was just going to ask if that was still a thing, too. I think Which, it must be. That one's a couple yeah. years old now, right? But mm -hmm. I, I'm a really picky eater. So the idea of not seeing what's put in front of me is terrifying. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say exciting. but well, And thrilling, terrifying. but terrifying. I'd have to be like, just whisper it in my ear, what is this? And I'll try it. But so that one was ahead of the trend, having the total mm -hmm. blackness restaurant. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I think once again, it's just another indication that creativity is almost just as important as the thing or the product or the food itself yeah. in, in this industry. Okay, so let's say we want to try one of these themed restaurants. You clearly have to dress for the occasion, right? And <laughs> yes. so this seems like a good time to switch gears here and talk about some of the fashion trends coming up for 2023. Yeah. Um. Overall, I have loved actually looking them up this year because you and I were saying before we started recording, there was nothing crazy, right? Mm -hmm. There's been mm -hmm. some crazy things in the past with fashion trends, but it really does seem to be just going back to the classics, which I just love. Um. But before we get into some specific details, there's one trend I've noticed all over Instagram that I am personally loving. And so instead of you know, social media sometimes making us feel bad. I've seen a lot of women use it as this excellent tool. So women of mm. all different body shapes and sizes are creating huge fan bases by trying on clothing and showing you what it, like it looks like on their body, which might look like your body. Yes. Like you can tend to find someone on Instagram right now that is your size, your height, your weight, and a specific body shape. And then so for someone like me, 
I have a very specific body shape and I, I and it makes me not want to try a lot of new clothes. Like I get nervous about trying different styles. And so when I see these women trying on the clothes, I'm like, they look fantastic in that. Mm -hmm. Like that's really inspiring me to go out of my comfort zone and maybe buy some different clothes. So that's a trend where they're using a tool that is often responsible for making women feel worse about themselves, but using it to really encourage women to, to try on new fashion and new clothes. So yeah, finding an influencer that you love that looks like your body type on Instagram is a trend that I'm loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have noticed those two, those accounts. And I love that it's not even just like body shape and size, but even age. Yes. I love like the, um, I suppose, because we're in terms of social media, we are the older generation mm -hmm. <laughs> on social media. But there, there are people our age even who are taking trends and fashions that may be marketed primarily to a younger crowd yeah and either adapting it or showing how you can how it's meant to be worn even for someone in your season of life or yeah for your age how to adapt yeah so it, it does seem actually a little bit more um in line with what fashion seems to have always wanted to be about which is uh taking this standard but manipulating it to yeah. be unique to you and so I love that that's kind of filtered down even more thanks to social media to us in our everyday lives. Yeah. And then speaking of unique to you, the other thing that I'm unofficially seeing as a trend is something that you talked about years ago and wanted to, you mm -hmm. wanted to talk about on the podcast. And that is this whole getting your colors done. Well, that's what oh, we used yes. to say in the 80s. You would get your colors done. I don't know if they're calling it that anymore. But yeah, so many women are doing those color consultations and finding out, I guess, I don't know, are you still a season? A season of mm. colors? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a season and it like a temperature. Mm. Those two things combine like winter cool or winter warm or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I haven't had it done, so I don't know. <laughs> no. And I kind of started, I used to think, well, I know what roughly looks good. And like, I always know what people compliment me on, right? If I come in wearing a certain color, I'm like, okay, I usually get compliments on these colors, so they must work for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was out buying some clothes the other day and I wanted to buy some colors and I did stand there going, well, I don't actually know technically mm -hmm. which ones would look the best on me so yeah maybe it is time to get my colors done yeah I've always been fascinated by those videos where they would show a woman sitting in the chair usually a woman mm -hmm. and she has one palette of color underneath her and usually you think like oh that doesn't look too bad like yeah. those look nice but then they switch it out for her actual color palette and you're like yeah. oh yeah. my goodness <laughs> it's completely changed the look like her skin looks better and her eyes are look much more alert and alive just by color theory yes. and so i yeah i also would i've always wanted to get my colors done yeah <laughs> So let's say you've got your colors done and you want to buy some new clothes. Now, one of the things that's really in style right now are those skirt suits, right? So the little mm. blazer and the little matching skirt. Think the Chanel, the classic Jackie O Chanel suit. But of course, they want to make it more fashion-y right now because it's 2023. So maybe the jacket is cropped. Maybe the pattern is a bit more, um, a little bit more, I guess, avant-garde or fashion-y than a classic pattern. Um, so yeah, skirt suits, which I love. I have, 
to be honest, I wore my grandmother's 1960s skirt suit to high school on a dress down day because it was the 90s and you could wear whatever you wanted. Um, And so I wore one of her actual like little um, skirts with the matching blazer and white gloves to school in high school. So I have been a fan of the skirt suit for 30 years now. I love that you used a civvies day yep. for that. <laughs> sure <laughs> did. School. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yes, like what I'm seeing with, especially with this as an example, the skirt suits mm-hmm. is that there is a, a trend in fashion right now, a return to structure. Yes. Yeah. In clothing. Right. And I think that might be the underlying thing for the skirt suit coming back. Um, I know when I was a kid, when I was a teen, I didn't like structure. I didn't like anything that was too boxy. And so like, for example, anything with shoulder pads was like an immediate no for me. And skirt suits just seemed very boxy. But maybe this time around is my time. Like maybe I've grown into them now. So I'm ready to consider embracing structure a la the skirt suit. And it's funny because talking about structure, one of the other things, and this one ticked me off a bit because I feel like this changed rapidly since last year. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the nipped waist blazers back with the little, mm. like the waist being sucked, like tight tailored in. But I yep. feel like everyone just bought the oversized slouchy blazer. <laughs> like we just, come on people. We just bought those at Winners like three months ago. And now we need nipped waist blazers too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. I wonder if we can get away with it because there could be very different ways to wear the two of those blazers. Yes. Yeah. Like you I could th- have both, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb to make us both feel better yeah. and say that it's not necessarily a replacement of last year's trend, mm. but an addition Beautiful. to last year's trend. Yes. Because I actually, I, I have to say, I really love the silhouette. I love the look of the oversized, looser fitting blazers. Yes. And I think it's more casual, whereas maybe the tailored one is more formal. So, um, you know, given yours and my particular stage of life, we don't have many places to wear formal nipped waist tailored blazers. So I think it makes sense that we're still more inclined to the looser fitting ones. Yeah. And then just to finish up with this tailored trend, we were seeing a lot of pinstripes um, back on fabric. So that kind of masculine tailoring, that fabric choice, um, which mm-hmm. I love. I love a pinstripe. And then um, I, I'll just talk a little bit more now about skirts because skirts are really popular and and they're not mini skirts. They are like knee or longer, like right to the floor. Maxi skirts are back. And so either like a long, really fitted and tailored one with a little nipped in blazer would be a beautiful beautiful classic silhouette mm. or well the denim skirt <laughs> michelle the long <laughs> to the floor denim skirt now i was pretty well known for my denim skirt my long one to the floor in 2003 mm. i wore it almost every day to work and got many a compliment on my <laughs> floor length <laughs> denim skirt so i still stand by that rule that if you wore it the first time around you're not supposed to wear it the second time around um okay. that being said my mom copied me and bought the same denim skirt when i had it and she still has hers so i'm wondering mm-hmm. if her granddaughter right gen z might want the authentic early 2000s long denim skirt my mom Ooh. still 
Ooh, I think, yes, I could see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) And we've always joked, we've long joked in the Catholic homeschooling world about all the moms wearing the denim jumpers, right? Like, okay, everyone go buy your matching denim jumpers. Well, now you can wear the long denim skirt and be totally on trend and fit in with the stereotype of a homeschool mom. Yes, homeschooling was never so cool. Yes, <laughs> this moment in fashion history. Yeah, but denim in general, mm-hmm. I think, right, is experiencing a revival. Is that the case? Oh yeah, yeah, it's super hot right now. So we joked in the in the warning about the Canadian tuxedo, yes. uh, right? For those listeners who might not be familiar, that is a denim shirt and jeans being worn at the same time, and it is all the rage right now. One of the young um, mommy, she's had her first baby influencers. I've been following for a long time, who's actually Canadian but living in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just debuting her Canadian tuxedo, and she's really high fashion, and so she was wearing that. I'm like, hey, it really is being. It's international now. Yeah. It's been released. <laughs> yes, into, into the, the public, into the wild. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm so glad we got here to the Canadian tuxedo bit mm-hmm. because I came across the origin story of it. <gasps> Do tell. Do you know? Okay. No. And you're going to love this one because it involves Bing Crosby. Oh, my heart. And we love Bing Crosby around here. Yes. So, <clears throat> okay. Apparently... There was an incident in 1951. Bing Crosby was staying at a hotel in Vancouver. This is a city he frequently visited and he loved. And it was at a time, though, when he still wasn't completely recognizable. Mm -hmm. Like his fame was only just starting to rise. So he was somewhat unrecognizable to much of the world. So the story goes that he tried to check into this hotel after coming back from a hunting trip and was denied his check-in because he was wearing denim on denim, <laughs> uh, an outfit designed by American jean maker Levi Strauss. <laughs> and he was considered too underdressed as the dress code called for a three-piece suit specifically. <laughs> and so one of the staff quickly realized their mistake and who this was, who this particular guest was. And they rectified the situation. But Levi's, the company, caught wind of what happened. And they designed Bing Crosby his very own tuxedo (laughs) made completely out of denim so that no establishment could ever claim he was too underdressed ever again. And they even sewed this leather patch on the inside of the jacket that read, and I quote, Notice to all hotel men. A perfectly appropriate fabric, and anyone wearing it should be allowed entrance into the finest hotels. End quote. So that is the story of the Canadian tuxedo. You heard it here on the Modern I Lady ju- Podcast. I check. I'm gobsmacked. Like I just. I, this is my. This is amazing. Canada, Bing Crosby, a fight against the establishment. It's just. It, it's everything amazing. Wow, Michelle, you've made yeah. my day. There you go. There you go. Now go forth and <laughs> denim on. <laughs> wow. 
Okay. Okay. So yep. let's say you're wearing your Canadian tuxedo and you mm-hmm. need your purse, right? It's always about the purses. Well, we saw the brief return of the tiny purse of the early 2000s, but it's all about big bags again. And I think it's because people realize they can only fit their like Nokia phone and a lip gloss in it. Like it's 2001. <laughs> so um, it's all about the bag. Now, when we were just in Manhattan and I was, of course, like watching for street style in Manhattan, everyone was carrying the Mark J. Jacob's tote bag and it literally mm. says Mark Jacob's tote bag on it. I don't know if you've seen them. If <laughs> no. I saw one, I saw a million. Okay. <laughs> so um tote bags are really, really in style. And so I thought, well, let me look up. Let me look up this Mark Jacobs tote bag for you all and, and we'll just see if we can buy one. So they start in price for the mini one at $390 American and they go up to mm. around a thousand. <laughs> wow. Now, if you want to combine, again, combine two of the trends of this year, so the sheer trend, which we're not even going to get into really, but again, Mm. they keep trying to push see-through clothes on people. They've been (laughs) trying this for years. So there's the sheer trend and tote bags. You can get, actually, they're really cute, and I hate that they're so cute, but you can get the the colorful sheer Marc Jacobs tote bags on the Nordstrom website for only only $295. And that's a deal as my family. We always go deals, 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 (laughs) deals. Oh my gosh. But so wait, is it because it's sheer? Is it see-through? It's It's, it's a clear plastic. They can seal your stuff. Now clear purses have come and gone over the years. I have watched Mm -hmm. the rise and fall of the clear purse. And I mean, it's great if you have like a cute Chanel compact in there, not the cover girl pressed powder that I wear. Which, as a side note, I have a funny story. I remember going into Saks Fifth Avenue as a teenager in in Manhattan and going up to their lush female bathrooms had this like makeup area with individually lit mirrors and like velvet benches and all these stunning women pulled out their Chanel compacts to touch up powder their noses. And I pulled out my cover girl, clean and clear, dark brown compact to touch up my makeup. <laughs> it just felt so out of the loop. And anyways, I still use that makeup. But yeah. Hmm. So if you have rich things inside of your expensive bag, right? It's all just look yes. at me. <laughs> I I guess that's that is the frame of mind you have to go into a sheer bag with. Mm-hmm. I was comparing it and I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this with with such elite expensive taste trends. <laughs> but I was bringing it down to my low level and thinking, "Oh my gosh, people would be horrified. The amount of things I need to take in my purse." Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would be like, "What is going on in there?" But as, as a someone, mom, yes. You know, and as someone who carried a can opener for years in her purse and a can of zoodles. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Yep, I did. Oh, I carried. So, you know, when you, you go prepared. to a bridal shower and you have to whoever, like there's points assigned <laughs> to things in your purse. I yes. nail that every, yeah. every year. <laughs> I usually used to carry oh. a curling iron, a roll of toilet paper, a can opener, and yeah, a can of alfagetti or their animal counterpart, zoodles. <laughs> We're not small purse people. No, we're not. I'm glad the trend is back on our side. Oh my goodness. Okay, and so if you had to pick one color for clothing this Mm -hmm. year, the color, the color is red. 
And again, mm-hmm. I called this, I called this two years ago. I'm like, red's going to come back. Red is going to make her, her come back. And so I just want to say it officially on here that I believe that by next year or maybe two years max, red dining rooms will come back because when mm-hmm. I was at Pier One, everyone, everyone, Michelle came into that store and they're like, <laughs> yes. okay, so we've painted our dining room. Uh, it's a color by Benjamin Moore called Sun-Dried Tomato. And in my head, I was already saying Sun-Dried Tomato because they were the 50th person that came in that day and told me they painted their dining room that color. So wow. yeah, red, red is back and you mark my words, it'll be back in home decor soon as well. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for the return of the red dining rooms. No. I remember that. And mm-hmm. that I think just anecdotally, I think it's just the first design trend that I was ever really uh, aware of. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be my first time cycling back. <laughs> And now I'm thinking like, about red. Wow. And I because mm-hmm. at first mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna say you're not ready for wearing red, but I actually think you would be stunning in red. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, know if well, you have much. Yeah, I don't know if you have a lot of red. I don't have a ton of it, but I I I have heard that too, that I should wear <laughs> I should wear red. And I do like red as a color. I was actually mm-hmm. thinking like it is one of those timeless colors. Yeah. Like yeah, it is. I, it's I don't classic. know if it yeah, like I don't know if it ever completely goes away, whether it's like a red lip or a red pop in an accessory or something like that. Red seems to always be hovering as opposed to maybe like pastels or right. like jewel tones that come in and out. So, oh, I'm happy with red in clothes. I'm yep. happy with red. I'm with you on that. <laughs> and you'll know, like, I think that one of the things that really does tell us if it's on trend though right now is there's a lot of red prom dresses. So mm. I think that there was maybe a long period where you wouldn't see a red prom dress or a red formal dress, but they're, they're yes. back for sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you're all dressed up and you want, you're, yeah. you're ready to travel, right? You're oh, like, yes. okay, I've got my linen button up shirt. I'm ready to go somewhere warm. Where are people traveling to right now? Well, According to a 2023 report compiled by American Express Travel, the majority of people who responded said that they are definitely traveling this year, not just like hoping to travel like they are. We're going somewhere. And they said Mm. that they are also planning on spending more money on travel this year than they had in a long time. Again, I mean, this shouldn't be a a surprise, right? People finally can travel. They want to go somewhere. Um, And so, yeah, like we were saying earlier, they also want it to be an experience. That seems to be really, really common in what Mm. people are looking for. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I read, speaking of experience, is that people want their vacation to be a transformative experience. They want to come back a different person. And mm. that can seem, I guess, maybe, I don't know, silly at first. But then you're like, no, I, I totally get what they mean. Like they want it to really have an impact on their life. And so mm-hmm. this can mean things like a retreat, right? Um, retreats are huge for traveling right now. So going somewhere where you're like kind of closed off from the world or, mm-hmm. um, or maybe an all inclusive that has offerings like dance therapy, or I read about one that has self-awareness group sessions. Like you don't want to just go and lay, they want to come back or they want to work on themselves while they're gone and come back a bit of a different person. Yes. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like even just from what I've seen on social media, um, like it's so many, especially the younger people who are prioritizing travel. Yeah. They have a completely different mindset to what it, what they want it to be than maybe what previous generations had. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you see maybe a little bit less of the classic all-inclusive 
yep. resort traveling and more uh, adventure travel, like hiking through mountains or exploring completely new countries even, or immersive traveling, right? Where you're opting to just live in a place yeah. and experience the culture. In addition to what you were talking about, the retreats, like a specific focus. Yeah. Um, it, it does just seem to be a shift towards a really authentic and curiosity-based tourism that we're seeing now. And you know, it's funny, and I, I didn't have this in my notes, but this is just popping into my head right now, is that I'm trying to wonder why, um, why mm-hmm. the shift, but I think that we've gotten a lot better, especially the younger generations, at relaxing at home. We have, mm. And maybe the lockdowns really helped with that, actually, as a benefit, is that people aren't wor- like burning themselves out as much anymore. A lot of people mm. are being a lot more mindful about that and learning how to shut things down at home and relax. So instead of needing working so hard all year and then needing that one week at an all-inclusive where you're just laying and doing nothing, because mm-hmm. we're not needing maybe that escape in that same way, people are looking to be more active on, on their vacations mm. than in the past. So anyways, that just popped into my mind. But Speaking of Gen Z, travel Mm. companies are paying close attention, right, to their next generation of clients, where the money is going to be coming from. And their research is showing that 84% of Gen Z would rather spend their money traveling than on any other luxury. So, you know, if Mm. they had to put that money aside for something luxurious, it's about travel. And 79% believe that travel is a really important thing to work into their budgets, not just to do, but to actually Mm. work into their monthly budget. Hmm. Okay. Well, I could I could see that too. Yeah. And I I think you're right. I think the pandemic really played into it for that reason. I never yeah. thought of that whole idea of because I think we've talked about Gen Z too, and they even have a different approach to work life balance. Yeah, they do. So this yep. totally fits in with that idea. And then they are um a generation that has grown up with the global influence of social media. Yeah. Like so close to them. So I I could see them wanting to go and see in person the things that they're exposed to all the time on um, like Instagram or something like that. They not just see it all the time, but now they have the means and the desire to go and actually see it for themselves. Absolutely. And I think that's so great that they have that kind of recognition that the world is not in my phone. Yeah. Like I want to go and actually see it for what it is in real life. That's so exciting. And I love that you're talking about that because that leads into the next trend with Gen Z Mm. and it's called set jetting instead of jet setting. Mm. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Clever. And so it says that 70% of the millennial and Gen Z respondents to this, this Amex report that they did have said that they pick destinations that they've seen in a TV show or movie that they want to go see in real life. So I don't think it should come as any surprise then that the top three destinations are Yellowstone, Paris, mm. and Sicily. And that's due to the huge popularities of the show Yellowstone, the show mm. Emily in Paris, and of the White Lotus, which I've never watched and had no idea no. It took place in Sicily. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those are the top three, I guess, travel destinations right now, with other popular locations continuing to be New Zealand for that Middle Earth experience. Oh, <laughs> yes. Calling it. Oh, yes. <laughs> and because of Bridger- Bridgerton and like a fascination mm. with like the Regency and Georgian um, era, a lot of people are traveling to bath in england oh my gosh i love that yes like that bath would have a resurgence of tourism that is so neat um and i was thinking about this too this set jetting it 
also might encourage people to look into destinations that they wouldn't have thought to go before Mm -hmm. because of Hollywood's trend to seek out less expensive places to film their shows and movies. Right? Yeah. So I was thinking it could also be an opposite way. Like we might be seeing small towns experiencing a boom of tourism because, um, you know, even if the show takes place somewhere exotic, like in Europe or whatever, they'll be setting it. Well, even here where we live, we have quite a lot of sets now. Yeah. Um, We're Hollywood North. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what we are now? Yeah. It's called, it's been called that for a long time. Yeah. Hollywood North. Okay. We are Hollywood North. I mean, like that's, (laughs) we don't even, we still don't have to go anywhere, Lindsay. Oh no. (laughs) All of those Christmas movies, those cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. So many of them are filmed right here, right? In like Niagara on the Lake or the other ones are filmed Mm -hmm. out in, um, in the mountains out in BC. But yeah, yeah. A lot. That's a really interesting point is that the whole thing is getting more creative to save that type Mm -hmm. of money. And, and so actually this is really interesting because it, it plays off of that term that you and I love edutainment, right? Like mm. kind of what we mm-hmm. hope this podcast is and what we both seek for and the things that we spend our time listening to and watching. Well, there's something that we, another kind of mashup word that we can use today. It's called edutravel. Um, mm. And so again, people want to experience like what we're talking about, the cultures where they're going a more immersive experience, like you were saying. So they actually want to take like a class when they're in these countries. They, they don't want to just visit Japan, they want to take a class on Japanese architecture, like a tour or a pasta making class, right? When you're in Italy. So again, it's so much more active, I think, than vacations in the past. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know what? That type of travel does really appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Me Like when I go somewhere, I want to soak up as much of that place as I as I could. I can't even see myself really doing a lot of passive traveling. It would be very active. And so that is exciting that if it's cropping up as a desire from um, amongst travelers, then tourism industry will pick up on that. And I, I bet we'll see more and more things being offered. And I did like just a quick look at some of the kinds of things as well you could do in addition to the ones you mentioned with mm-hmm. the architecture in Jap- in Japan. Like there's one trip where you could spend a week learning how to bake pastries in France. Mm, wonderful. Like pastries in France. Could you get more on brand than yeah. that? Yeah. Um, and even learning how to uh, do things in areas that you wouldn't have thought of going, but it's best suited for the activity you want to do. Mm. So like you could learn how to scuba dive in the Red Sea, Mm. which I was learning is the ideal place to learn scuba diving because it has an awesome reef that is very hearty there, but the conditions are very calm as opposed to the ocean. Right. So there's that. And then there is one that I think you'd love in particular. You could be an archaeologist. (gasps) In Colorado. <laughs> yes. There's a place called Crow Canyon Archaeology Center where you can work with professional archaeologists <gasps> to research the ancient peoples called the Anastasis. <sighs> so there you go. I know you are you did like sociology, right? In- I did anthropology. Anthropology. That's what yep. it was. Yeah. Yeah. So to- oh, there's something for everyone out there. I love it. And I feel like the big 18-day family vacation we just did in D.C. and New York City mm-hmm. um, was edu travel um, to, <laughs> to my kids' disappointment in some ways because 
<laughs> we must have hit 30 museums. Like yeah. it was nonstop walking. But that is the type of travel that Jason and I are really inclined to. I can't imagine mm. sitting on a beach. Like I want to be learning things. And what I think that this does too is it gives an opportunity for more locals who live around those resort areas to bring their skills and talents to mm-hmm. the tra- people traveling, right? They're, they do want to have that interaction with the locals. And I think that's wonderful. Now, there is a group, I think, of introverts who are listening, just whispering silently to us, like whispering, but what about us? I don't want to take a pastry class. I just want to do something quiet. And guess what? Another trend is silent trips. Um, These are like, they're specifically designed for quiet. Mm. And so it's silent walks through the forest, or there's one that goes over the Welsh countryside, or there's an Ecuadorian silent river cruise where these things really teach the participants to listen, to listen to the sounds of the water, the nature sounds, to just really be present in all that. So I think for parents, right, where all we Mm -hmm. hear is noise all day, I'm like, I'm reading about this going, actually, a silent vacation sounds dreamy. And maybe Catholics (laughs) had the market on this with our silent retreats all these years. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the idea of being on like an Ecuadorian river cruise in the silence sounds really cool. Yes. And no one's allowed to talk to you. Yeah. Like that's, you know what? That trend reminds me of the 4K walking videos on YouTube that you share. Yeah. Right. Um, But I, this trend makes 100% sense to me why it's so popular because the world is so incredibly loud like there's so much noise pollution and I think everyone is just overstimulated (laughs) in general so there is there was an article from Condé Nast Traveler Mm -hmm. where they talked about how silence has been marketed to actually be a luxury Mm -hmm. nowadays on these trips wow yeah Right. So you can pay to go to things like hushed cafes Mm. and quiet beaches, but those tend to be very expensive. And the author of the article was saying how she actually went on a quiet vacation by just seeking out um, a a more remote part of the world. So she went to the Faroe Islands, Mm -hmm. which hasn't really had that big boom yet of tourism. And so... Yeah, so maybe those adventure style trips also have to do with people seeking escape from noise pollution in our culture just as much as it has to do with thrill seeking or experience as well. So what you just said there actually sums up so much of what I was reading about these trends, and that is the word luxury. Um, Mm. It really does seem that it is about money, 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 a lot of these trends. And you know, it's so interesting because we we're hearing so much about like economic decline and like inflation and all these things, but it does seem like people are really spending money on travel and they want luxury. Like they want the nicest and most photogenic hotels. They want to go to an all-inclusive, but they want that all-inclusive to have the best food that they've ever had. They don't want the garbage buffet anymore. Like people are demanding luxury so much so that there's like this role that's popping up in hotels all over the place. Um, you might have seen it on one of those amazing hotel episodes with Giles Corin that you and I both mm. like where mm-hmm. one of the hotels we saw has a sleep concierge this is oh, popping yes. up in hotels all over where they have a person whose job it is to match you with the best pillow the best mattress and even a soundscape so that you're sleeping the best you've ever had on vacation so it's wow. truly like luxury or people want to stay on luxury um yachts that they would never be able to own the luxury yacht business of renting them 
out is mm. booming right now. So I never know quite how that stacks up against the reality of mm-hmm. people having trouble affording groceries right now, which is these seems like the real reality for a lot of people and these luxury vacations. They don't seem to to work together. But yeah, it does seem like when you're looking at the trends, so many of them are rooted in having to spend more money than ever on travel. Yeah, you're right. That does seem to be apparent. And remember at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about how often the trends point to something deeper going on. Yeah. Like in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that this like desire for luxury, um, I wonder if it has, I'm sure some people enjoy spending a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Um, or it makes for a good uh, if they're like influencers or things like that, like it's part of their personas online and stuff yeah. like that. But I wonder if the root of a lot of that is a, a desire to savor pleasure yeah. and yeah. enjoyment again, which may not actually at its core then have to require a lot of money. Yeah. Right. But I think that's something that other countries and cultures have already ingrained in their society that maybe in North America, we still haven't quite incorporated it uh, regularly in our lives. Yeah. Is just you you think about why people are going to, say, Italy, and they're wanting to spend the, the laid-back mornings, like, in their robes, sipping really good coffee and taking in the landscape and hearing the sounds and things like that. I, I feel like there there is a part of italian culture that already knows how valuable that is (laughs) and so they do it regularly where we have to travel to want to experience things like that so yeah i i can definitely see if you have money and you want to spend it on these amazing luxurious things that for sure is a trend and i wonder if for the rest of us it appeals to us so much because we want to be able to sink into something so pleasant or delightful or pleasurable and enjoy it and savor it for what it is. Yeah. And I also wonder too, if the last couple of years um, have made us always worry that we could lose that chance again. So if you've got Mm. one trip to do, you want to do it like a beautiful trip that really is an entire experience and you're willing to spend the money on it because I don't think anyone could have predicted that we could lose that chance to travel. And I think that there's that fear that that could happen again for whatever reason. Um, and so it's like, okay, let's spend the money. Let's make Cause we also learned the value attached to memory making. And mm. I think that we hadn't experienced that before. And I know that that was a consideration for our trip with our kids. Um, mm-hmm. Every time we are like, well, doing this extra thing is going to cost extra money and extra money adds up very quickly on vacation. Yeah. But we were realizing that that value, that monetary value is connected to memory making. And while it's not all, always connected. (laughs) Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you can make memories certainly without spending money. Um, Sometimes it made us go, okay, it's worth it this time. Okay. We'll spend that little bit extra for that. And so because that was playing in the back of my mind going time, time is so short and that we might not have this experience again. So I think that maybe that's also a motivating factor for some people. Mm -hmm. And so looking over this list, I'm like, okay, well, if we can't travel somewhere luxurious and you want to just have that little piece of luxury at home, maybe it goes full circle and you start with some caviar. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank yep. you. You get your little tin of caviar or roe, right? We know that they're not the same yes. thing now. If you need to go a little bit, if you can't do the beluga, and you just bring that little bit of luxury home. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? All right, so everyone knows that we are always on the hunt for engaging, family-friendly movies that will draw and keep our teens on the couch, right, for family time. Mm -hmm. So our oldest son is all about weightlifting and fitness right now, and I am all about the 1970s right now, so I thought it's time to watch Rocky. We've never (laughs) watched Rocky. And now I've already, I was already too excited about this, right, Michelle? And I told you Mm -hmm. about my love of Rocky already, but to share with everyone else. So I had no idea what to expect because my only exposure to Rocky is the countless parodies of people running up the steps (laughs) (laughs) and my parents dressed as Rocky and Adrian for a costume party when I was a kid. And I, that, that, that night has always stuck in my mind. So it turns out Rocky is an outstanding film. So it was made for only $950,000 and it was written by Sylvester Stallone in just three days when he was basically homeless. It's gritty and real and you find yourself really rooting for the goofy, street smart, so I'd say not overly educated, um, but soft-hearted Stallone. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was very little bad language and I was surprised by the large amount of Catholic touches throughout the film. He is a Catholic in the movie and um, there's actually articles written on the Catholicism of Rocky. So I'm not saying that it is a Catholic movie. So like, obviously it's not going to be perfect, but I was not Mm -hmm. expecting any of that. We were blown away. Now we've watched the first five Rocky films and we have mm. loved each and every one. They are glorious in their predictable cheesiness and mostly still family friendly, even through the 80s. Um, and I would still, again, stress like families with teens, right? Um, mm. Maybe not for younger children. And we're excited to move on to the Creed movies, which we had no idea when the Creed movies came out over the last couple of years that they are connected to Rocky. It's it's a spinoff oh. of those movies and Sylvester Stallone is in them. So I love it so much. I just registered my son for a a boxing waiting list in our city and I might start boxing as well. So Rocky, I am team Rocky. Wow. That's had had quite an influence on you. (laughs) It has. That's amazing. You said the first five. Yeah. So is is there more Rocky movies or is it the five and then Creed? There's five and then there's one that's called Rocky Balboa. I think that only came out in the I'm going to be so confused because there's, um, that one came out in like 2006 and then, or maybe 2012. And then the Creed movies kind of came out around that one as well. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's technically Rocky six and then the Creed movies, but yeah, there was one later one that he does. Um, we keep having to Google them and cause we keep trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what years they all came out because then there's a huge jump between Rocky four and Rocky five. Um, it's only, it's like a five year jump jump in production, but there's, the movie happens right after like the timeline is right okay. after that was my next question yeah yeah <laughs> so it's all over the place and some like if and there's so much written about rocky like the there is a lot of passion about these movies and mm-hmm. so there are some that people believe like kind of dip in quality in the middle <laughs> like when he mm. single-handedly 
has to represent the like America in the Cold War in a fight against the Russians. It's great. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and it's the introduction of Mr. T. I didn't know that Mr. T oh. gets his start in a Rocky movie and he is not the lovable child-friendly Mr. T that we came to know later in the 80s. He is a vicious oh. fighter in the first ones. And I could talk for an hour on Rocky, but yeah, I had no idea I would love it this much. So if you are looking for, like, even just, you know, husband and wife mm. night, just the two of you, mm-hmm. put on the first Rocky. Like, re- do it. It's a reason why it is so... And not okay, not only is it just beloved in film, like among film people, it was nominated for 10 Oscars and it won Best Picture that year. So, wow. Yeah, it's a solid blockbuster. All, like, it's great. <laughs> okay. Well, I have never seen Rocky, yeah. so I will... I will probably be rectifying that soon. <laughs> yes. Now, what have you been loving this week? Okay. Well, uh, you know, a little bit of a different sort of a thing. But uh... <laughs> I love when that happens. I know. I know. Um, but it has been a while since I've had a good K-drama to recommend. Mm. And I indeed have another one to share with you all. So this one is called Little Women. Mm. And it just came out this year on Netflix. So the premise is that it's based on three poor sisters. They're really down on their luck and things take a turn for them when a close friend of the oldest sister, who's also impoverished, mysteriously dies and leaves her seven billion won, which translates to, yeah, just over 70 million Canadian dollars, Mm -hmm. I think, and just under 53 million dollars US. So... The question is, where did this money actually come from? And it causes all three of the sisters to become embroiled in a scandal that involves the wealthiest elite in Korea. So I enjoyed this show a lot. I found it thrilling and captivating. Uh, Like, you always need to know what happens next. And I find this common in K-dramas where there's even just a little bit of suspense to the storyline, that they do a very good job of leaving their episodes on cliffhangers. Mm. Um, So much so that I actually watch the episodes offset. So I'll often have to watch until like near the middle of the next episode. And then I'll stop. And Uh. then the next night... Yeah, I'll start in the middle of the episode again and watch the middle of the next episode. Or you would just never go to sleep after that first episode, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And the episodes are also between like an hour or an hour and a half long. Mm. Um, There's anywhere between 12 and 20 episodes in general. So whenever I finish a K-drama, I reflect back and think so much has happened Mm. in this show. But about this one in particular, about the title, Little Women. Yeah. I actually didn't click on the show right away to watch because I thought it might just be a Korean adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's book. Um, And the synopsis does say that it's loosely based on the book. But I think the only thing that is based on the book is a slight representation of the characters um, in the novel and then the sisters in the show. So they are poor, like Alcott's characters And the three sisters in the show do portray the March sisters. So like the oldest is like a a cross between Meg and Amy. Um, Middle sister is very Joe March. And then the youngest sister is definitely a Beth kind of a character. So um, there you go. Another K-drama 
for your viewing pleasure. If you're looking for something uh, a little bit more on the thrilling side, this is uh, a great show to watch and it's on Netflix. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.